You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. I bring you greetings. Last week we missed you at Peter Marisburg. Uh, we were ministering at a conference. My Lord, was it explosive? And uh, for the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Lord just showed up. And we're so grateful. It's always an honor and a privilege to be a blessing. You know, sometimes you guys keep receiving certain things. You might just take it for granted. But there are some other people that really want us to move, to relocate. <laughs> and I'm beginning to consider... Well, we will see who has a stronger faith, whether them or you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, but thank you so much um, for all the encouragement, the support. And even though most of you didn't know about it, but <laughs> yeah, you've been prayerful people. Are you still praying? Yes. Are you still reading your Bible? Yes. Okay, what is today's reading? Where is today's reading? Okay, yes, yesterday's reading. Huh? The book of Ezekiel. Huh? You're in the book of Daniel. Hallelujah. You're finishing it. Uh, are you enjoying reading the Bible? How many people have, I mean, you, you're beginning to see God in a different way as you've been reading your Bible. And also you understand the nation of Israel more. You see how rebellious they were? <laughs> Always worshipping idols, but God still loving them all the time, going back, going back, going back. Huh? Sometimes when you listen to people, you think that God is wicked. But when you read your Bible, you see that God is not wicked. As, as a matter of fact, He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. He is loving, like that song, um, Apile Apile sang. Yeah, he, love, he loves you. He's madly in love with you. And you have no idea. You don't know. You think that because... Other people are mad at you that God is mad at you. He's not. And you think because life is hard, and you think that God is mad. No, God is not mad. Amen? Amen. Even if you went to hell, you would see that God is still weeping for the people there because His love is forever. It's just that they choose not to worship Him. And he cannot stop that destiny. But his love never fails. Never ceases. Never stops. There's nothing you can do in this world that will stop God from loving you. That's the truth. But the best thing you can do is to love him in return. Hmm? Yeah. 
So this morning I want to share with you a few things. Um, we've been dealing with the aspect of our kingship for a while. <coughs> we've looked at the life of David. And uh, I said to you that um, when it comes to matters of the kingdom, you don't see very much in the New Testament, although you hear Jesus preaching and talking so much about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and all of that. But then, if you want to see um, a literal manifestation and the, the lifestyle and the operation of a king, you need to go to the Old Testament. Do you understand? Because you see, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So, in the, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. So, if you want to understand the, Old Testa the New Testament, you need, to, you need to read the Old Testament. And if you, want to, if you want to understand the Old Testament, you need to read the New Testament. Because the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and explained. You see... So you cannot understand some things that happened in the old without reading the new. And you cannot fully comprehend the new without reading the old. So we need them both. And I know that some Christians feel that as New Testament believers, we should only read the New Testament. Then you will miss the kingdom message. Why? Because you will not understand how to operate as a king if you don't read the life of David, for example. So, we need them both. And that's why I'm excited about our Bible reading program. That we are reading through the Bible. And I'm looking forward to the time that I'll take you and teach you every single book. So that you become a master in the scriptures. Why? Because too many people are ignorant. There are too many spiritual illiterates going around carrying Bibles and standing in front of pulpits, but they're spiritual illiterates. They don't understand the Scriptures, and because of that, people get deceived. People get misled. People, people are preaching error. Anointed error is proceeding from many pulpits. And so because of that, the kingdom of darkness is, grainy, is gaining ground, not because the devil is powerful, but because God's people are ignorant. Amen. Are you getting my point? Yeah. yeah, because God's people don't know the truth, Satan seems to be strong. But I'm telling you, he will fight you if you want to read or study your Bible. Satan is going to fight you. Haven't you noticed? Just decide, okay, uh, I want to read my Bible. Sit down. And you just start feeling sleepy. You know, you just, you just get a visitor. Or, you know, that important calls come. It just comes. Somebody, that invitation comes. Something happens just to take you away from the word. Hmm? But if you open your, your, your newspaper or your favorite magazine, I don't know what your favorite magazine is, but uh, some of you look like people that love magazines. And I can see you magazine on somebody's face. Uh, I can see... Uh, no, let me not call them. Before I promote some brands. 
<laughs> yeah, so I can see some magazines that you look at. Oh, I see a car magazine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You, some people, homeowners. Huh? So when you get those ones, you know that it's like you are alert. Your senses. Huh? 100% woman is coming back. <laughs> Hallelujah. In power and in glory. So, I'm telling you that the enemy doesn't like it when you know the truth. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He would rather that somebody, you go to someone who will promise you a, you know, a, 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 a mixture that will just solve your problems. So they just promise you something. You just take this thing. Listen, if you just drink this water, if you just drink this water, you know, just take like um, uh, 250 mils of this water. And before you take it, you before you take it, you need to jump up, you know, jump <laughs> five times, face the east. Uh, and then after you drink it, you spin around. And then you'll be fine. People like that. People like that. But when we say sit down and be taught. Ah. No, 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 no. Like somebody, when my brother was pastoring in Abuja, somebody left their church and said, your pastor is not performing. <laughs> they said, what? What do you mean? You know? Perform, you, you, need to, you need to perform some, you know, some, some, do some things. <laughs> do some, you know, perform. And you're like, perform what? <laughs> you know? Why? Because she's used to going to places where people are always trying to impress people. So they do things to impress you. To make you feel how great they are. And all of that. But they are not being equipped to see how strong they are. They are not being told what they are carrying inside. They are not being told that they are kings. They are not being told that as a king you have power. And you can do this and you can do that. They are not being told that. They just come sit down and then the pastor is, is just performing. Come on. Yeah, you might as well go to... The theater, you know? And then watch some good performance. Market theater. Pay some money, sit down and watch. And after that, and shake your head and say, that was a good performance. Isn't it? Yeah. But the church is not like that. The church is not supposed to be like that. Many Christians have that kind of attitude about church. So they come to church, sit down. Pastor, do your thing. I'm here now. But no, there is no thing to do than to equip you, than to empower you. So this morning, I want to share with you on what I call the iniquity of kings. Huh? The iniquity of kings. So when kings go wrong, when kings continue to do wrong, what happens? Satan loves it when kings continue to do wrong. He loves it. Yeah, it's to his advantage. Do you understand? 
It's to his advantage when kings begin to live like slaves. He loves it like that. Yeah. So he don't, doesn't need to struggle when we as kings choose to live as slaves. And it's an iniquity when we do that. So let's look at, let's start, we've been using the life of David as a template, right? Okay, so let's look at David in Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter, chapter 12. Actually, uh, it all started in chapter 11. Let's look at chapter 11. You know that story. You read it when you were reading Second Samuel. Hmm? Verse 1. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to do what? To battle, that David sent Moab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, notice that it says at springtime when what? Kings go out to battle. So you see, kings go to battle. If you are a king, you better get ready to fight. Yes. All right? You are born to fight. Amen. You are a fighter. Amen. I know somebody once sang a song, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Listen, you are a lover and a fighter. Amen. <laughs> you are a lover and a fighter. If you are in God's kingdom, God expects you to love, but then to fight. It's not either or. So at the time when kings go out to battle, why did David exempt himself? Huh? He's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> huh? When kings go out to battle, this guy, sends Joab. He sends his servants. He sends all of Israel. Everybody go, go, go. I will stay. Hmm? King David, what are you doing? Huh? It's time to fight, not time to take a break. Hello, King David. It's time to fight, not time to chill. There is a time to chill. There is a time to fight. But now is a time to fight. But you are chilling. What is happening to you, King David? Kings are going out to battle. This is the season when kings go out to battle. But you are doing the wrong thing for the season. It's a season for battle, not the time to stay at home. Okay? So, what happens? Let's read on. Because of that, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful to behold. 
question. If he had gone to battle, would he have seen this? No. You don't see this kind of scenes in battle. Come on. So his first mistake or his first error was that he didn't go to battle when he was supposed to be fighting. He was at home chilling. And he's at, on his penthouse. King, come on. He has conquered many people. He has achieved so much success. He's now a multimillionaire. Come on. Yeah, on his penthouse, just looking. Looking out. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing. That first look, he said, uh uh. <laughs> what am I seeing? <laughs> huh? The first look is not always the problem. It's the second one and the third one and the fourth one. Yes. So he stops and he's looking and he's looking. And then he fixes his gaze. And then, ah, he now goes into porn. <laughs> yeah. She was beautiful to behold. Huh? So David sent and inquired about the woman. You know, as a king, he can send. The word of the king is a command. Where the word of the king is, there is power. He sends. Who is that? So he must have called his servant. He said, look, um, Jim Jones, um, <laughs> who is that? Who is that? Who is that woman there? Who? Go find out for me. Huh? And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So someone says, no, that, that's, that's the wife of one of you guys. Huh? All right. Then David sent messengers and took her. Then she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed for him from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Hey, this man, what is wrong with you? You are supposed to be a man after God's heart. Eh? A king in Israel. Then you're supposed to protect these people. Huh? You're supposed to protect this woman. You're supposed to protect the nation. In fact, her husband is serving you. Amen. He's serving you. Sure. You send him out there. And then you take his wife. And obviously, there's nothing about, said about consent there. So we could assume many things. Do you get my point? We could assume many things. But the king sent for her. And then he laid with her. And then she returned home. Then the next thing, look at. Next verse. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. All right, king. <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh my God. The king So much began to happen in his head. 
Do you understand? So much began to happen in his head. And then the next verse, David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Okay? And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from David's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. <laughs> Anything to cover up. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Hmm? And Uriah said to David, the, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives. I will not do this thing. Amen. So this man was well trained by David. Amen. You can see that. David is the one that trained him. Taught him how to be loyal. Taught him how to be a warrior. Taught him how to be um, um, uh, dedicated. And you know, taught him how to, to be uh, a man that will stand with his fellow warriors. David taught him all these things. And now David is trying to break his own principles. Why? Because something. He has allowed something to enter. Hmm? Then David said to Uriah. Wait here today also and tomorrow. I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and made him drunk. <laughs> David was trying so many things. So you see, death, anyway, yeah, let's read on. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with, his servant, with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab. And sent it by the hand of Uriah. Huh? And he wrote in the letter saying. Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And retreat from him. That he may be struck down and die. Sure. So it was while Joab besieged the city. He assigned Uriah to a place. Where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Hmm? All to cover his sin. Then Joab sent and told David all things concerning the war. And charged the messenger saying, When you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, 
if it happens that the king's wrath arises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on, his, uh, on him from the wall so that he died in Tebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. All coded. Coded communication. Hmm? And so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him by. And the messenger said to David, surely the men uh, prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gates. And uh, the archers shot from the wall at your servants. Some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. Ha! When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Oh my God. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Of course it will displease the Lord. This man was a faithful man. This man was a loyal man. Am I correct? This was a, a, a gallant warrior. This was a man that loved his nation. And gave his life for his nation. Gave his life for the king. He gave his life for his fellow warriors. A great man indeed. But David, what David did, displeased the Lord. The Lord was very, very displeased with David. And that was the beginning of a series of events in the life of David. When you reach chapter 12, you see that God sends a pr prophet, Nathan, to come and confront David. Mm? Let's go there quickly. <clears throat> so he comes to confront David. Uh, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little earl lamb, uh, which he brought and nourished and grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from him his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger uh, was greatly aroused against the man 
And he said to Nathan, <clears throat> As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb which um, he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. David, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and blah, 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 blah. Okay? But look at verse 10. Now therefore, the sword shall not depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So when, God, when David was doing that, God saw that he was doing it to him. Do you understand? And God says, listen, David, because of this thing, the sword is not going to depart from your house. In other words, violence and bloodshed is going to be in your house. It will not depart. And we know the story. Now you look at Psalm 51. Let's go to Psalm 51. Now, why did God say that? Because God was mad at David. Talk to me. Come on. Huh? All right. Yeah, God was not happy. God was upset. Yes? Did it stop? Did it mean that he stopped loving David? No. No. As a matter of fact, he's, he's chastising David because of the love that he has for David. Okay? So when God disciplines us, it's because of his love. He whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Correct? So God now introduces judgment and uh, we read the story uh, in Second Samuel, but then... Now, this Psalm 51 is an account. This Psalm was written after David did what he did. After what he did. All right? If you look at in your Bible, um, my Bible says, Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance to the chief musician. A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So when the prophet went to him. Huh, and declared the word of the Lord. David now goes into serious repentance. Immediate repentance. Okay. And now he writes this, this psalm as a result of that. Let's look at I want us to pick up a few things from this psalm. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
I want you to notice different words there that I use. All right? He says, blot out my transgressions. Underline that. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Underline that. Cleanse me from my sin. Underline that. Okay? All of these are significant. They are all significant. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Come on. In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know that David has seen how the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. He saw what Saul became when the Holy Spirit left him. When a king loses the Holy Spirit, he is in a terrible state. So he witnessed that and he is saying, God, please! He didn't say, don't take away the kingdom from me. He didn't say don't take away the throne from me. He says don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Are you getting me? So he valued the Holy Spirit. In all of this, he valued the Holy Spirit more than the throne. He valued the Holy Spirit more than the throne. And he says don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. And do not cast me away from your presence. Don't, he knows that without the presence of God, I'm finished. Why? He knew how he used to go and play for Saul so that the presence of God could come. And he knew if the Holy Spirit is not there, an evil spirit will come. And when an evil spirit comes, it will vex him. It will torture him. It will make his life a misery. Misery. You know, and, and he saw that, he witnessed that in the life of Saul. He did not want that for himself. So he cried to God. He pleaded with God. Huh? And he says, restore to me the joy of salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your, transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, oh God. Because he is guilty. He is not only convicted, he is going with guilt. And he can see the wickedness of what he has done. He didn't make excuses. No, no, no. This was a time to admit his wickedness. Amen? Amen. And this is how kings should respond. When they go wrong. 
Hallelujah. He says, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I will give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you do not despise. In other words, I cannot... It's not just sacrifice that you need. I have all the sheep that I, I can offer a million sheep if I want. But that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a broken heart. You're looking for a heart that is broken and feels convicted. Hmm? And it says a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. And he says... Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. But the point is this. I want you to notice something. He mentions transgressions. All right? Then he mentions iniquity and he mentions sin. Okay? Now, sin, we know what sin is. Sin, biblically speaking, simply means missing the mark. Alright? So, in other words, sin is like a mistake. When you make a mistake. Alright? Um, and an accurate picture. How many people play darts? Huh? Okay, you, you throw that thing. You are, you are aiming for the bull's eye. You are aiming for the bull's eye. But when you throw it, some of you, you throw it and it hits the tree. <laughs> when you throw it, it I mean, the, the tree feels it. That is sin. Yeah, that is, that is, that is the Bible understanding of sin. When you miss the bull's eye, that is sin. You've missed the mark. Hello? Yeah, so that is sin. And we all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Is that not what the Bible says? We all have sinned. So everybody, is there anybody that has never missed it? You mean not one person in this church? Can raise his hand? Oh my Lord. Of course, nobody. If you did, I would cast out the spirit of lies. <laughs> Glory to God. Okay, so that's missing the mark. That's sin. Generally, sin. When you miss the mark, God has a standard of righteousness. When you miss that standard, that is sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So if you know what to do and you don't do it, you have sinned to yourself. That's what the Bible says. So it's not about just the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, no, no. In your heart, do you feel that this is what I should do or I shouldn't do this? That's what God is looking out for. Okay? So that's sin. 
Now, transgression. What about transgression? Transgression is different. Transgression is outward sin. So that thing that you do, that is, is clear. That's transgression. And as a matter of fact, you read, you read the Bible, you see that there's also another word, trespass. Huh? <laughs> Trespasses. So those are different words that are in the same family, describing different things. So a trespass is when you go beyond your limits. So God, I don't know if you've seen it, they, they put a fence around a place and they say, they say, they put a sign there, no trespassers. Trespassers will be prosecuted. So in other words, you can walk around it, but don't cross. The moment you cross, you have trespassed. So God has a line for our lives. When you cross that line, you have trespassed. Hello? Okay. Do you like to know these things? Or is, is you look bored. No, My no. God. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so that's, that's, um, that's, uh, that's that. Then iniquity. That is the crux of the matter. David says, blot out all my iniquities. Wash them out. That is where Satan targets the most. You know, the mistakes, the sin, the iniquity. Ah, that's where. <laughs> that's what he likes. Why? I'll show you. Look at Ezekiel 28. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28. Come on. The iniquity of kings. We're going to wipe them all out. Amen. With the blood of Jesus. Amen. Now, in, in, in Ezekiel 28, we see here that Ezekiel is prophesying, all right? And he's speaking to the king of Tyre, right? Um, verse 11. Let's read from verse 11. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Who is he talking to? The king of Tyre. He's talking to a king. All right? Now, by the law of double, double reference, in biblical interpretation, there's a principle known as the law of double reference. God can be saying something to one person, but he's addressing more than one person. Okay? So we'll see that shortly. Come on. So he says, uh, okay, son of man, he says, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. What? King of Tyre. Now, this is a physical kingdom, the kingdom of Tyre. And how can he be saying to the king huh, that the king, this king, uh, was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty? All right, let's go on. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Huh? 
When? Eden has, is nowhere to be found. Who knows where the Garden of Eden is? You know where Eden is? Where is the location? Is it in Tyre? Of course not. All right? So you're in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone wants your covering. The sardius, the topaz, and diamond, and beryl, and onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, and turquoise, and emerald with gold. My goodness. All of this were in him. Huh? The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Hmm? You were the anointed cherub who covers, who guards. That word covers means God. Okay, the NIV uses the word God there. So you were the anointed cherub. God is saying to him, I created you. I put all these things in you. And you were even anointed to guard my glory. Hmm? I established you and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till what? Iniquity was found in you. Listen, guys, he's talking about Satan here. This is Satan he's talking about. So this prophetic word, he was speaking to the physical king, but that physical king was possessed by Satan. So he was referring to the king plus the spirit in the king. Just like in the garden, when he was speaking to the serpent, he was speaking to the snake and to Satan. Who possessed the serpent? It's the law of double reference. Are you following me? Okay. So here now, he's saying to to Satan, you were perfect until iniquity was found in you. Now what is this iniquity? Right there in heaven. How can you develop iniquity in heaven? In God's presence. In the midst of in the midst of all the glory of heaven. That answer is found in Isaiah chapter 14. Where he says, I will ascend. So it begins with self-will. Let's, let's read that quickly. We'll come back here. I need to just point something and then we're going to pray. And deal with every root of iniquity in our lives that Satan would want to use. I want to show you how important it is to deal with iniquity. But look at this. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart. It starts in the heart. Say, it starts in the heart. Okay, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. The first I will. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The second I will. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. The third one. On the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the most high. 
You see, that's how iniquity starts. It starts with self-will. Hello? That's why you need to pray for the will of God all the time. Not, not just your will. Okay, so kings, you are a king under God. You are not a king apart from God. Are you following me? Your kingship is linked directly to the throne of God. That's why you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ, not your own. Are you getting my point? So the moment you want to establish a kingship that is outside of Christ, you get into self-will. And God is going to bring you down. Then he says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So you see, he started from there. So Ezekiel is saying you were perfect until iniquity was found in you. Now, what happens is this in the spirit. Iniquity is interesting because the way it works, you cannot see it. But it is something, it is it's not a once-off thing. If you notice the progression, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So many I wills built up until they became iniquity. Hallelujah. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so when it becomes iniquity, then it becomes tradable in the spirit. Back to Ezekiel 28. My Lord, don't worry, we're going somewhere. It will be good for you. Glory to God. Ezekiel 28. Okay, look at verse, okay, verse 15 says, You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Okay? Then the next verse. Look at the next verse. Come on. By the abundance of your trading. Okay? You became filled with violence within. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So, this thing is happening. Iniquity is developing. Self-will Continues, 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 continues. Then, boom, it transforms. It metamorphosizes into iniquity. Then now that it has become iniquity, it's ready for trading. Are you getting my point? Then look at verse 18. Jump, just keep, you know, because... Okay, let's read 17 just for the sake of it. It says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. We're going to gaze at him. Hallelujah. All right, then he says, look, look, look at verse 18. Very important. He says, you defiled your sanctuaries by by the multitude of your iniquities. Then look at the next line. By the iniquity of your trading. 
So what are we talking about? Now, when it becomes iniquity, it's tradable. And when it's tradable, it's transferable from one generation to the other. Are you getting the point? No, it has a price. It has a value. It's now a commodity in the spirit. So when Satan wants to trade, he looks for iniquity in our lives. That's why the Bible says, I, the Lord, visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So what is he looking for? Iniquity. Why? Because iniquity can attach itself to your DNA, to your genes, and then the next generation can carry it, and then the next one, and then the next one. Hallelujah. And that's why we must be serious about this thing. And you, I want you to see that David was crying just not just to escape what has happened. Not just to escape the consequences. Iniquity is involved. And once iniquity is involved, I'm telling you, people, it becomes tradable. It becomes tradable in the spirit. And so we're going we're gonna to look into our lives. We're going to pray if there is any root of iniquity in my life. Because as a king, you cannot afford to rule if you have iniquity in you. Jesus said, the king of this world, the prince of this world cometh, and he has no part in me. In other words, when Satan came, he investigated Jesus. He searched and did not find any iniquity. Hallelujah. He did not find any iniquity. That's why Jesus could be raised from the dead. If there was any iniquity in him, I have news for you. He would not have risen from the dead. Because Satan would have been able to use it as a bargaining chip to say no. Do you understand my point? So, yeah, when there is no iniquity, and that's why we have the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is so powerful. And don't just look at it as just wiping away just your sin, even your iniquity. Hallelujah. Even that which you inherited. That which you inherited from your great-grandfather, for your grandfather, from your father, all of that can be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And you need to exercise faith in the blood to blot out all your iniquities. Hallelujah. So as a king, you need to be a king without iniquities. You need to be a king that will walk. Because oftentimes, when Satan goes to accuse you before God, he doesn't major much on your sin. I'm telling you, he looks for your iniquity because you don't even know. You are not aware of what you are carrying. You are not aware, but he is aware. And that's what he uses to say to the Father, can you see this? And that's why God has given you an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you need to learn to apply your faith in the present day ministry of Christ. Because if you don't apply your faith appropriately, you will not experience the depth of what Jesus shed his blood for. 
And there are some times that the enemy is able to resist us because of iniquity. Oh, I'm okay. I have not hurt anybody. I've not done any wrong and all of that. Yes, yes, yes. What is in your blood? Are you carrying any iniquity? How are you going to rule over the enemy? I've just shown you there that he trades with iniquity. It, it, it has a value in the spirit. And that is what he uses to buy your destiny. To buy your future. To negotiate your future. To negotiate the future of your family. Are you getting me? I'm equipping you for war. But you have to go deep, 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 deep down. This is not a surface level mining. No, this is not alluvial mining. You, we are going deep down. Deep down. Generations. 400 years down. Hallelujah. If need be, the blood of Jesus can trace everything right back to Adam. And wipe it all out. Hallelujah. Because I want to see your kingship begin to manifest. I want to see the glory of God begin to manifest in your life. I want to see the power of the age to come beginning to manifest in this place. And there's no iniquity that the enemy can hold on to. When he comes to your life, he will find nothing because of the blood of Jesus. Time will not permit me, but my time is gone. Let's rise up on our feet. Come on. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just talk to the Lord. Lord, whatever iniquity is in my life, search me. Search me. Know me. Know my heart today. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Any iniquity, any root. Hmm. Every persistent self-will that will lead to iniquity, let it be cut off in my life. Let it be cut off. My Lord and my God. 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 Mondeleke sombro dobo sulabaha. Zondelebe sulabaha. In the name of Jesus. Mendelebe sulabaha. Mola baba Mighty God. Mighty God. Ye Mosula Baha. Kelebo Sunda Baha. Zolebe Sunda Baha. Zoleme Sula Baha. Zolebe Sula Baha. Mighty God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Now say this after me, Heavenly Father. Search me. And see if there's any root of iniquity 
in my life. In my life. Going, back Going back 10 generations. Ten generations. Let, them Let them be wiped out by the blood of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, everything that Satan would use to accuse me before you, to resist me, let the blood of Jesus that speaks better things speak on my behalf. In the name of Jesus, I apply my faith in the blood of Jesus. In the cross of Christ, to deal with every root of iniquity, in the name of Jesus, it stops right now in my life. Blot them all out. Purge me in the name of Jesus, mighty God. Deliver me. From every pattern, every anatomy of sin, every anatomy of iniquity, every system that the enemy has put in my life by reason of iniquities, let them be uprooted right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, every structure that the enemy has put in place, I destroy by the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, I plead the blood over my life, over my family, in the name of Jesus. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Going back. Ten generations. Let them be blotted out. Let there be no trace in my life. Let there be no trace in the spiritual realm concerning me. Everything is washed by the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I overcome every iniquitous root in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, right now. Thank you, Father. I announce my freedom in the realm of the Spirit. I declare the speakings of the blood. The blood is speaking over me right now. The blood is speaking better things. Over my life, I am free. I'm victorious in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Where my DNA needs to be rectified, every defect in my DNA, 
by the blood of Jesus. I command. I command them to be corrected. In the name of Jesus. I plug in. To the DNA of Christ. I plug in. To the DNA of the Father. To receive. The divine nature of God. There is no iniquity. In the divine nature. Therefore. No iniquity. Will survive. In my life. From this day forward. It is settled. By the blood of Jesus. Thank you Father. Amen. God bless you. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.